This podcast is offered through the Sacred Community Project, an inner spiritual collective working to lower the barriers of access to contemplative and devotional practices. Through the universal teachings of love, service, remembrance, and truth, SCP utilizes modern technology to promote eternal values. Learn more at sacredcommunityproject.org. Sitaram Das here with today's episode of the Sacred Community Podcast. What we have today is a talk by Chris Boudry on the refuge vows. It's a great talk and I found true benefit from listening to it. It's a selection of audio taken from a class that he did through SCP called Introduction to Lam Rim. Lam Rim is a thousand-year-old practice from Tibetan Buddhism, and it is considered to be a complete path to enlightenment. His Holiness the Dalai Lama states that it expounds the entire path from the way one should rely on a spiritual teacher, which is the very root, right up to the attainment of Buddhahood, which is the final fruit. The various stages of the path are presented so clearly and systematically that they can be easily understood and are inspiring to put into practice. So what I want to say about this is twofold. One is that if you find this inspiring and you want to dive deeper into study with Chris on the teachings of Lumrim, he'll be offering a year-long course through the Living Dying Project and the first class is on April 16th. You can find the registration link in the show notes. The second thing that I want to say is that Chris is a good friend of mine and someone that I deeply trust. So much so that he will be teaching with me for the upcoming SCP retreat this summer. So if you want to hang out with us in person, if you want to be immersed in spiritual community, spiritual teachings, immersed in Mahav, there's still some spots available. And the registration link is also in the show notes. I have a couple other things then. I know there was, there was probably a lot in that meditation of things we maybe have never heard of, like practicing moksha vows for some people or possible freedom vows that some folks may have never heard of. So I just wanted to take a, a couple minutes just to run through them. And that'll kind of bring us close to the end. So, so the refuge vows in Buddhism, these are my, my Lama rewrote them into what her definition of them is. And so for one, I take refuge in my true nature, my emptiness, the source that makes everything possible. Because I take refuge in the source of infinite potentiality, I take refuge in my potential to be a fully enlightened being. I take refuge in my own enlightenment. I take refuge in my ability to fully integrate and embody the realization of my true nature into my humanity so that it is manifest as skillful, wise, and loving behavior. I take refuge in the example of other awakened and compassionate beings. I take refuge in my teachers and mentors who mirror for me my own true nature, who bring the teachings to life for me and to light the way for me on my path. I take refuge in myself and I take full responsibility. That's a hard one. I take full responsibility for who I am, 
and who I am becoming. Two, I take refuge in the realization of my true nature and the nature of reality. I take refuge in reality as it is. I take refuge in my highest realization and understanding of the nature of things. I take refuge in my direct knowing and personal connection with truth. I take refuge in the teachings that point to the truth and that help me to be more of a wise and compassionate human being. I take refuge in understanding the absence of the inherent nature of things. I take refuge in understanding that my thoughts, words, and actions create my identity and reality. I take refuge in understanding how I literally create reality. I know that every single one of my thoughts, words, and actions has an impact and influence on the entire universe. I'm willing to give up the idea that harming others sometimes gets me what I want or has pleasurable and desirable results. I know that it's impossible for me to gain personal happiness and freedom from any actions, words, or thoughts that harm others. And as long as I feel justified in causing harm and the desire to harm exists within me, then my mind, body, and reality will never be a safe or beautiful place. I mean, even, even to die, we could do a ton of time on that, but to just the small things we justify, the smallest types of anger, these are probably the, the, the ways that harm is caused more often than not in our society is those little darts that we throw, the passive aggressiveness or the uh, sarcasm. When we use that, is that actually benefiting us? Like if you dive into yourself when you're being sarcastic, can you notice the areas of your body that are holding tension and that are loose? And I'd imagine more often than not, it's a safety thing that you're doing. You think you're trying to keep yourself safe. I mean, so my wife and I, we started, we gave ourselves a practice where whenever sarcasm came up, we say, we don't do that anymore. And inside of we don't do that anymore, we change the meaning of those words to you've just said something sarcastic. You are allowed to take one minute, one hour, one day to be with why you have the need to harm someone. And you can come back at any point. You can take as much time needed, go into it, and then we can have a discussion on it knowing that you will not be met with resistance or anger. It's okay. And so we just, we don't do that anymore. And then poof, that hits you like a wall. Oh, I was just trying to hurt someone. I think that using healthy anger, to differentiate between healthy anger and violence is the basis point for me for any type of non-harming, non-violent work. And non-harming is a lifetime's worth of practice. But to see the difference is that anger is subtle. Anger doesn't hurt me and doesn't hurt you. Anger sets boundaries. Anger in its purest form is clarity. Violence hurts me and hurts you. Violence is big. It's explosive. It's not subtle. Violence isn't clear. It's very muddy. It crosses boundaries. And again, it violence hurts me and hurts you. So can we notice where we are being violent? And, and I like that word. Like if you say, I, instead of just saying I hurt someone, if you say I was violent today, I was violent. Are you going to want to be violent tomorrow? Or are you going to want to be angry? 
Because anger then, can you stay? Like, can you drop in yourself wherever that anger was? What would that anger want to say? I mean, to me, when anger's there, I want to see, like, I'm kind of sad. What I'm seeing happening, I'm, I'm not okay with. And sometimes we're not, we don't have skillful means with anger because when we practice being skillful, you know, who are the people who taught us about anger? Were our parents and our grandparents? And some of them, like I know from my grandparents, they had to worry about survivability. They didn't have the opportunity to practice this. My mom had to worry about survivability. She was living on the streets. She's a very violent person. So it takes time. And sometimes we have to ask for space. Hey, there's tension. There's anger here. And I don't want to become reactive or violent. I need to go be with this for a moment. That's why we, to me, that's functional spirituality right there. There's something happening in here. And I need to meet its needs. Three. I take refuge in the beings who have realized their true nature and the nature of reality. Those beings who have seen reality directly, I take refuge knowing that they exist in the same way I do and that they are absent of inherent self-nature. Four, I regard any representation of enlightened beings with reverence and respect, regardless of the tradition and quality of the artistry or material. Someone who has seen an enlightened being or the truth has directly attempted to communicate what they saw through that symbol and that material medium. And so it is very precious. I love number four in this. That means like, I'm not teaching Buddhism today. And what's behind me isn't Hinduism and Christianity. I mean, it's truth. And truth can show up in many different forms. I mean, how silly are we to think that God only gave us one way? Right? Like, I mean, so can we see the truth in many different ways, in all ways? And be like, mm, yes. Like there, there are certain vows, bodhisattva vows, where you agree to not learn things that are outside of, I can't, I, I don't know how to say the, the vow 100%, but it's like you're agreeing not to go outside of Buddhism. When in fact, like the belief is you're, you're agreeing to not learn from the truth that you'll investigate something go ah that's true that is speaking about the nature of reality so we can throw any ism on on it we want buddhism shamanism hinduism and any other level of teaching or method there is out there it's the truth it's the truth so we regard any representation of the truth with reverence a lot less labels that way Five, I regard written material and spoken word with reverence and respect. They are delivery systems for truth and wisdom. I'm developing a sensitivity to how I use and relate to written and spoken language. I'm making it precious in my mind and empowering it. I honor all modes through which wisdom, truth, and skillful means can be communicated. I mean, that in a sense, this binder, these aren't just words on paper to me. Like I have a rug beside me because when I set this down, I don't put it on the floor. To me, this is holy scripture. It's wrapped in a cloth when I'm done. It's put in a safe place. I have three young kids. I don't want them drawing on here because this has the truth in it. When I do puja, my pictures of my teachers are the truth. And 
I have great reverence for them. I don't just let them, my Pujari, I do let my Pujari get, get dirty. I, I got to call myself on that. At times it does. It does. And then I see what it causes in me. When I look over and it's a bit of a mess, it's like, wow. Now I'm going to create a ritual to clean this, to get it in order, to get my ducks in a row. Six, I regard all those who would realize their true nature with respect and reverence. There are no obvious external markers for what these people look like. I could be surrounded by awakened and enlightened beings who look like ordinary people in t-shirts and jeans all day long. I regard all those who have formally committed themselves to the spiritual path of realizing their true nature and embodying love and wisdom so that they may help and inspire others to do the same with deep respect and reverence. I think it was Ram Dass who said, like, I love everyone in the satsang, but it's hard to get along with them at times, right? Wow. Can, yeah, it is, it is difficult. There are other people with other lives who don't see things the same, but can we regard them with reverence and respect? Because they're trying to free themselves to free you. They're doing it for you. Right? Like when you sit down to practice, all of you tonight, on some level, you're doing that for me. When you share, and then you share, is seeds for my awakening. Just like everything I'm doing here is for your awakening. Again, like, we want to treat that person without reverence and respect. Ah, oh, I mean, they came to class today and they, yeah, they didn't share as much as I wanted. Don't want that person back. What? Well, I mean, I seen them. We we went down to the temple together, but I didn't hear them chanting as loud as I thought they should. They don't really want it. <laughs> no, they're chanting for you, for your full awakening. Every Hari Krishna was for you. All day long, seven. All day long, I remember who I am, who I'm trying to be and what I'm doing with my life. I check in frequently in order to align my actions, words, and thoughts with my highest values. I use my highest understanding and realizations of the three jewels as a reference point and compass for my life. Like, I, I like Buddhism in a sense because for the, the type of mind I have, for intellectual practice at times, fits. And this is perfect. Right here, number seven. I remember who I am all day, and who I'm trying to be, and I use Buddha, reality, Dharma, life, Sangha, interdependence. I use reality, life, and interdependence all day to try to remember who I am. That puts it simple enough for me. I like things simple, because it has to function for me. And that's why I like I like the bhakti path because it's simple to chant, to open my heart and just like poof, wow, oh, God everywhere. I love it. Right? Eight, I generate a sense of gratitude and appreciation for my own potential to awaken. The process of that awakening, life as it is, my highest realizations of the nature of reality, the teachings, my teachers, those who are modeling the way and the community of people who are waking me up and the people who are helping me be a wiser and more loving human being. 
As I partake of food, drink, and other resources, I remember why I'm eating and dedicate the benefits of partaking in them to those things for which I am so grateful and to which I'm devoting my life. A lot of times we talk about mindfulness practices around eating, but around just life. Can you switch that to just dedicate? That's dedicating merit is what it's saying. Why you practice. It's easy to dedicate the merit of practice. That feels good. Can you dedicate the merit of being in traffic? Can you dedicate the merit of your boss telling you you did a shitty job today? Can you dedicate the merit of the bills adding up and interest rates rising? That's hard. Maybe not. Maybe it's not hard. Maybe you can see what's happening clearly inside of you. Interesting. And dedicate that to the benefit of all beings. Nine. To the best of my ability, I skillfully guide, encourage, and inspire others to be wiser and more loving human beings. I'm committed to continually increasing and refining my skills and abilities in order to become increasingly effective in doing so. Ten, I check in throughout the day to see if my actions are aligned with my vows. Checking in often, for example, six times throughout the day to ensure that the vows remain fresh and alive in my awareness. So this is talking about bodhisattva vows, and there's a lot of them, over 100. And it can be a practice to check in on them. Like you can take two, three, four, five, six, and work with them throughout the day. So, I mean, one of the easy ones, I'm referring to killing, okay? Or the protection of life. I devote myself to the protection of life. So if you're devoting yourself to the protection of life, it's easy to say, oh, I'm not going to step. I'm not going to go kill someone. I'm not going to beat a dog. I'm not going to step on something. Well, what about the small actions we do? What about when your phone goes off while you're driving? Are you protecting life? What are the small ways you notice for yourself? And for myself, I, I'm transitioning out of monoculture farming into regenerative ag because it just it's breaking my heart to see what's happening to my soil. It's not sustaining life. It's not. So what type of farmer, what type of bodhisattva am I if I don't sustain life with the work I, the work I do, that I'm doing, me, Chris, doing? <laughs> right? It becomes less of me doing it then when it becomes sustaining. 11. In any activity that I undertake, I trust my true nature, the nature of reality, those who have seen their true nature and the nature of reality. I recognize the benefits of trusting in these things. I trust in my highest vision of who I am, trying to be what I'm in and what I'm doing in my life. I trust my inner knowing and to the best of my ability, I act skillfully with pure intentions in alignment with that knowing. Always checking in and asking myself what would be of most benefit to others. So equanimity is an amazing practice. I mean, this isn't quite exactly what that this vow is, but equanimity is an important thing. So I'm going to talk on it because it falls in line. Equanimity isn't this. It isn't taking people from down here, raising them to here, and people from here to here. It's taking your highest possible view. So who, what, whatever you think Maharaji is, whatever you view him, that's taking everything there. That's taking everything there. 
That includes you. You, sub X, all one, all the same, all up here. We're taking everything there. Woo! I mean, the person who flipped you off, the boss, the interest rate, it's all up here, man. That's an equanimity practice. We're not dragging things down. It's all Maharaji. Twelve, I'm willing to devote my life to the three jewels. So again, I'm willing to devote my life to reality, life, and interdependence. The Buddha Dharma Sangha. They're so valuable and important to me that I'm devoting my life to them. I'm stable and confident in what feels right to me. I know what resonates as truth, and I'm devoted to realizing the truth and living in alignment with it. I'm devoted to... I'm devoted to realizing the truth and living in alignment with what's true. And that's simple. Yeah, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. So those are those are the refuge vows. The freedom vows, I'll go quicker. So harming, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, divisive speech, harsh speech, idle speech, craving ill will and wrong views. And I mean, all of those, we could go spend plenty of time. I have a short closing prayer. And then if there's any last thoughts, we can dive into them. Here's the great earth filled with the smell of incense, covered with a blanket of flowers, the great mountain, the four continents, wearing a jewel of the sun and moon, in my mind, I make them the paradise of a Buddha and offer it all to you. By this deed, may every living being experience the pure world. Idam Guru Ratna Mandalakayam Yiratitayam. By the goodness of what I've just done, may all beings complete the collection of merit and wisdom and thus gain the two ultimate bodies that merit and wisdom make. I just want to speak a little on the first line again. After looking at the six perfections, in the center of the room was the bowl of incense, which was bodhicitta. Here is the great earth filled with the smell of incense. Here is the great earth filled with bodhicitta, filled with compassion. This is the paradise of a Buddha. There's nowhere else to go. Enlightenment doesn't take you away from here. This is the paradise of a Buddha, filled with the smell of incense. <laughs>